Thanks to the worship team. Wow. So great to get back to that. I've uh, been away in Cape Town for the Baptist Union Assembly and then for a short holiday. Andy, healing ministry is in... Sorry. Um, and then for a short holiday, in fact, I'm still on holiday because I promised my wife I'd be on holiday for her birthday, and her birthday's on Tuesday. So, yeah, yeah, so I've had a great time. And uh, the best thing about having a good holiday is coming home and uh, being part of this family. Uh, I'm just so grateful. So we're going to start a series this morning in the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And the truth is... I'm actually not going to preach about Genesis so much this morning. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Um, if you can, if you have to keep your eyes open in order to see what we're saying, please do that. But I want you to picture your Bible. Some of you may have it on your phone. Some of you may now be wondering, where actually is it? I want you to realize how precious it is. Okay, you can open your eyes again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said. And God Said. You know what's fantastic about this creation story that we have in Genesis? Is how different it is to many other creation stories. So many other creation stories are about, are about gods fighting each other and then the consequences of that is that an earth gets created and human beings happen because the gods are angry with each other. And then the human beings spend the rest of their lives trying to dodge the gods, basically. This is a different story. This story says, in the beginning. This story starts with celebrating God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning who was actually the beginning. And so the celebration of God's glory right there in the beginning. And then the Bible tells us, God spoke. Who who was he speaking to? Who was he speaking to? Well, he was speaking to everything that wasn't him because that was about to come into reality. And God said, and all that we see begins to unfold. Let there be light. Let there be these creatures. Let there be seas. Don't you love being out there and worshiping God? I said, I've just come back from Cape Town. It's hard to not worship God in Cape Town. Sure, that place is beautiful. eh? It's not as beautiful as here, but it's beautiful. 
and you look at the mountains and you, and you see people next to the road in boys drive, those of you who know where that is, filling up bottles of water, pure mountain water. You don't even have to go to the shop and get scammed for spring water. It just comes out of the side of the mountain and it's pure and it's beautiful. And there's so many ways that God speaks to us, that says so, that again and again God shows us who he is in the beauty of creation, the beauty of animals, the beauty of people. God speaks all the time to us. Sometimes when we feel proud, we just need to go outside and look up. (laughs) And then we'll understand how small we are. Sometimes, sometimes when we feel like we're worthless, we just need to look around us and see that ant that's crawling across the ground and know that God knows its name. I don't know if ants have names, but I'm sure they do. Well, the stars have names. The Bible says that. He calls the stars by name. And there are more stars than there are ants. We can see God and he speaks to us. Listen to what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You see, that's the beauty about God speaking. Everybody can hear him. You don't actually have to be able to hear. You can see. Whether you can not see or or not hear, it doesn't matter. Because God speaks. But this morning, I want us to focus on a particular way God speaks. Even, Even as we celebrate it, I want us to focus on God speaking through his written word. Because that is a unique and special way that God speaks. Theologians talk about general revelation, which means all the stuff that we know about God from everything in the world around us. And then we hear about God's specific revelation, which is in his word, the written word, the Bible, and Jesus Christ, who is the word. We're going to celebrate the book of Genesis and what God says in his written word over the next few weeks. So the Bible that you have, those 66 books that we all use and recognize, haven't always been around like that. In fact, it took a while for the canon of scripture to be finalized. And the canon, which is those 66 books, um, the word canon is a, is, a, is a Greek word that literally means a rule or a measuring stick. So in other words, we are saying that those 66 books are our standard. It's what we believe God wants us to know in written form. We can know the other things, but they aren't the standard. They aren't the canon. This is the canon. These are the rules Do you know that there was a time when God's written word wasn't actually the Bible as we know it? When God's written word actually wasn't 
the 66 books that we have. In fact, the Jews only got their canon, which is what we call the Old Testament, in around 400, well, in the time period between 400 BC and 200 AD. Now, if you know anything about Jewish religion, you'll understand why it took them so long. Those oaks argue about everything. I actually love that about them. Because, because they sit down and they grapple with God's word. And they go, no, 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 that's not what it says. Yes, that's what it says. No, it means this. No, and then they grapple and they grapple. And then when they finish grappling and they still haven't agreed with each other, they don't disown each other. They don't say, no, you're not a Jew anymore because they don't. But you can see why it took them so long to get their Old Testament between 400 and 600 years, pretty much. Our whole Bible, those 66 books, were probably first recognized by a guy called Athanasius, who was the Bishop of Alexander. In about 367, he writes this Easter letter to all the churches. He's now the Bishop in Alexander, and he's kind of the Pope in those days. And he writes to all the churches, and he lists these 66 books that we have as the canon. But the truth is, it didn't stop the early church arguing about it. Guys like Martin Luther didn't want the book of James and Hebrews and a couple of other books and Revelation in the Bible. They didn't like it because it talked a lot about practical Christianity and their problem had always been that people tried to, up to then, try to earn their way into heaven. So he didn't, they didn't like them. But the church was also back and forth. And it was pretty much only in about 1563, around there, that the church finally said, okay, guys, this is it now. We are done. God will still speak to us in other ways, but as far as God's written word goes, the canon, it was finally and dogmatically, that's what the theologians say, finalized. You can't argue with this anymore. We're done now. I'm so glad. Imagine being involved in those Going to the Baptist Union Assembly is pretty traumatic with all the back and forth. But if it was this, it would be much worse. And so for a long time, God's people didn't actually have a written word in the form we have. What a treasure you have lying next to your bed or on your phone or on your bookshelf or in your memory. What a treasure you have. But the truth is it didn't even stop there because even after the canon was settled, for, for hundreds of years, God's word was unavailable. It was unavailable. It was essentially only really written in its original Greek and Hebrew and it had been translated into Latin and most people, A, were illiterate and B, if they were literate, they couldn't read Latin. In fact, even most priests in those days couldn't actually read Latin. And so even though God's word was there and it was written down and it was recognized, people like you and me would have just had no access to it because we couldn't read Latin and we couldn't get a copy of, a, of, of that book that was worth, in today's money, hundreds of thousands of rands for one copy. It was unavailable. Thank God for a guy called Erasmus. Now, it's not Richard Erasmus, okay? This is another guy. I mean, he's kind of, no, he doesn't look like him at all. Erasmus was a, was a 
Roman Catholic priest. And he just said, this is not right. This is not right. And he began the process of translating the Bible into German. The church didn't like it. The church was incredibly angry with him, but he persevered. This is what Erasmus said. Would that the farmer might sing snatches of scripture at his plow and that the weaver might hum phrases of scripture to the tune of his shuttle, that the traveler might lighten with stories from scripture the weariness of his journey. You see, he just wanted us not to have to go through this massive ceremony and some intermediary to be able to hear what God is saying to us. He just wanted ordinary people like you and me to be able to hear and know and read and see and understand God's word. Thank God for Erasmus. So here we are. Here we are. We sit now with this word of God. We as a community here in Westville, we have it. Now, what do we believe about it? What's important to us about what God said? So this is our statement as a church. And if you're a member of the church, you agree to the statement, so you better check on yourself right now. It says this, we believe that the Bible is true and inspired by God. It is God-breathed and our authority for what we believe and our God for living. See, that's what we believe. That's what you and I say is the foundation of, of our canon, our rule, God's written word. So I'm just going to unpack a few of those phrases just a little bit so that we can understand them a little better. The first thing that we say is that God's word is true. Now, truth is a challenging word, you know, because because truth often isn't absolute. Truth is never absolute to us. There is absolute truth. God is absolute truth. But we can't perceive absolute truth because we are not all-knowing. We are not those kinds of creatures like God is. However, we affirm again and again on the basis of God's own word, John 17, 17, sanctify them, says Jesus, by the truth. Your word is truth. And so we believe that every part of the Bible is true. Now, now here's one of the challenges the Bible wasn't written like we write things. So the Bible isn't a textbook that has a lot of true facts in it. Now, it does have facts, and those facts are true, but the Bible often speaks in metaphors. And, and that's where we get into trouble. And in fact, Genesis is a good example. You know, that story, it was evening, and it was morning the first day. And people have lost their minds and sometimes fellowship with each other over the whole conflict between was it a six-day creation or did God take millions of years in the process of creation? And churches have split and people have argued back and forth and they miss the point. The point is this, that God 
created. It never says how he did it, other than it says, and he said. But it really couldn't literally have been a 24-hour day, that first one. Who knows why? Well, there was no sun to dictate 24 hours. That only comes later on. And so this, this passage is completely true. But scientifically, the facts aren't given as facts. And so we, in God's spirit, have to say, God, this is what I believe about that. Now, the person next to me may believe it a little different, but, but that doesn't matter. As long as we both acknowledge that this is God's word, and it's true that God created everything by his divine will, and that human beings are unique. They didn't happen by accident out of some process. They may have happened out of a process, but it wasn't an accident, it was God's process. And so we, we argue about what is true. God's word is truth. Second thing that we believe is that God's word is inspired. That phrase, God breathed, comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love that. It's God breathed. In other words, it comes from God. Whether Paul was the guy who put it on the paper, or Moses in the case of Genesis, or any other person that was putting stuff down eventually on paper, or papyrus, probably, or, you know, you know what I mean. It doesn't matter, you're chiseling it. It doesn't matter, because it all comes from God. He inspired it. No, we don't believe that there's any other God-inspired writings out there. It's those 66 books. That doesn't mean that God can't speak to us through other ways, and he often does through some of the books we read and, 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 and through science journals and through nature, but, but it's, that's only God using his spirit to teach us something, and it will never conflict with the truth of God's word. So it is inspired. We don't believe that God dictated his word. That's quite important because Sometimes we read stories that seem to go, mm, that's not exactly the same story. Oh, yeah, it must be. And again, often two stories written down by two different people. So what happened at the accident? So, well, um, the, the Honda Ballard was going about 65 k's an hour, and, and the, the Toyota Corolla came out through the intersection, and, and they collided. That's what happened. Ma'am, What happened? Um, so the blue car was going really quick, and the other car, can't remember what it was, but it had four wheels, Th they went into each other. <laughs> Same story, both true. And that's how beautiful scripture is. Here's what's lovely about it. It means that you and I don't have to wait for God to dictate something to us to know what he wants. We don't. We can read the stories. I often used to tell people, I, I never asked my dad for a motorcycle. I never asked my dad for a motorcycle. You know why? Because I knew he'd say no. I just knew. I didn't need to ask him. I didn't need to go and beg him. I just knew. 
I can never ask God to let me steal money from the bank and get away with it. Well, I can ask him, but he's going to say no, because his word has taught me that that is dishonest and wrong. All of God's word is inspired. And God's word is our authority. It's our authority. It's, 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 it's why we believe certain things are right and certain things are wrong. It's why we believe it is wrong to covet. Because God's word says so. We live in a world where there are all sorts of other authorities. You do understand that. Advertising is an authority. No, you have to do better than that. You smell bad. You're not, your hair's not the right color. Your car is wrong. These authorities that say you have to do this and you have to do that. God's word is our authority. If something is your authority, often we end up as Christians having pointless arguments with people who don't believe God's word because it's not their authority. And so we have these arguments and we say, God's word says, and they go, well, I know, but, but it's not my authority. Do you know how we should use authority? James tells us this is how we should use authority. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's when you really know that God's word is your authority. When you do what it says. That's why Jesus says things like, they will know that you are my disciples by how good your arguments are from the Bible. Oh no, that's not what he said. He says, they will know that you are my disciples because of how you love one another. Not because you argued them under the table, but because you loved one another. Why? Because God's word is your authority. And God's word says, I must love my friends, I must love my neighbors, I must love my enemies, I must love everybody. And it's my authority, and so I do it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Okay, so so what must we now do about this? This God who says things to us and, and, and we begin to understand it. I wish that I could just tell you, you know, just go and read it and it'll be fine. Now, the truth is there are parts of God's word that are just so simple and it's just right there and you read it and you just know. But there are other parts, because this book was written over thousands of years by all sorts of different people who believed some weird stuff about God, and it was put together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it gets really complicated. A theologian friend of mine once said that that reading the Bible is a bit like dating a very beautiful foreign woman. He said, you you, you know, there's just stuff that you know. You just see the person and you love them and you just, and it's just obvious. We're both in love with each other and that's fantastic. But then every now and again, she'll say something and you can't hear her because her accent is weird. Or then she does something that just is completely socially unacceptable in your set of circumstances. And you have to learn her culture to understand her more deeply. And that's part of what the Bible is about. And so we can't, we shouldn't, because the Bible tells us we shouldn't just sit down and read it. Now, I want to say this. If you do that, especially as an unbeliever, you can get saved. 
And people often are. They read God's word and God's Holy Spirit does something. But as we, as we seek to obey it, the first thing that we as God's people here must do in terms of living and loving God's will is that uh, God's word is that we must have the will to obey it. I want to ask you this. Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe that God's word is inspired by him? Do you believe that God's word is your authority and you must obey it? You see, if you believe those things, it's going to mean something. It's going to mean something about your daily life. It's going to mean that I, I, must, I must connect with God's word often. I must, I must listen to God's word. I must obey God's word. And sometimes that's glorious and beautiful and easy. And sometimes it's hard. But it's wonderful. Because it's God speaking. Let there be. It's God speaking to us. Do we have the genuine will to follow God's word. The second thing is that God's word must be lived and loved in a community. It must be lived and loved in a community. This idea that that I can read God's word on my own is a fairly modern idea. Those early Christians who, who didn't even have a Bible that they could ever read would sit together and, and, and they would take pieces and, and, and they would listen to the stories that the apostles told and they'd go back and they'd say, oh, that story about the woman at the well. What does God want us to do about that? That story about, about you know, Jonah and the whale, what, what does God want us to do about that? Perhaps that is God telling us we must love our enemies and love people that aren't like us. And so they sat in community and they wrestled through it. And you know why you need it? Because some parts of God's word are easy for us as individuals. My nature, that part of God's word that says I must love everybody, easy peasy for me. Those parts of God's word that says you must be disciplined and you must speak the truth. I'd rather get someone else to do that for me. Because that's a part I struggle with. And so we, we've got to read it in community and, and wrestle through it together. And then most importantly, as we live and love God's word, we must be guided by the spirit. I'm going to tell you this, that being clever with Greek is not going to help you to know all the truth about God's word. Hearing brilliant sermons from a phenomenal pastor and preacher, whoever that may be, is not going to, come on, help me here. <laughs> Thank you. Is not going to give you what you need. It's part of it. It's a tiny part of it. But this is what the Bible says in John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. See, that's why we as a church believe that the Holy Spirit must work and live and act in all of us. 
because it is not anybody's cleverness that's going to guide us into the truth. It's not any fancy scholar. It's not me reading the Bible over and over and over again, although it's good to have all of that. It is the Spirit who will guide us into all truth. I love the fact that most often in my own experience, God uses his word to whisper to me. We were talking the other day in, our, in one of our LTC groups, our, our life-transforming conversation groups. We were asked this question, how does God usually speak to you? And most of us wish that God would go, hey, John, do this now. Nope. He's done it once or twice to me, not like that, but, but most often it's that voice. There's a Elijah Elijah, the prophet, he goes up on the mountain and there's an, there's an earthquake. And the Bible says, and God was not in the earthquake. Then there was a, a, a terrible wind and God was not in the wind. And there were, these, there, there were these huge noisy things that happened and God wasn't in any of them. And then it says, and then there was a still small voice. Folks, every one of us have a still, small voice. It's called God's word. It's on your phone. It's next to your bed. It's on a bookshelf somewhere in your house. If you haven't got one, they're bookshops. And it is God's written word, and it is a treasure. And you know where it has its origins? In verse 1 of the Bible. It has its origins there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let us stand and give thanks to God for what he has said. God, thank you that you said But God, thank you that you keep on saying. And whether we experience what you have said through hearing, or whether we experience it through seeing, or however we experience, thank you that you've given us this precious gift called your word. Lord, help us to live by it. Lord, help us to grapple with it. Help us to love it. But most of all, Lord, teach us how to obey it. So, Lord, we as, as your, your church family here acknowledge that we would not know you if it wasn't for your word. Thank you for the word, Jesus Christ made flesh, who was in the beginning, who created all things. Thank you for your written word. And Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that explains your word. And thank you for brothers and sisters who together with us can learn your word and obey it. And so Lord, we go now. We pray that you will part us with your blessing and that we will be able to stand because you will keep us from falling and present us faultless before your presence with great joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's children said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.